So we uh, are in a, a series through Ecclesiastes, kind of looking at the themes of Ecclesiastes, um, not necessarily verse by verse, but if we hit a chapter or a section, we will go through the verses of that chapter or section. Uh, last week, we talked about uh, just the theme of all of Ecclesiastes, which is listed basically in the first half of chapter one, Vanity Under the Sun. Uh, Ecclesiastes starts with this really uh, cheery greeting, right? Uh, vanity, vanity, all is vanities. Um, it's just meaningless, meaningless, uh, or vapor or smoke. Just everything is smoke or vapor. Uh, and so we talked about last week how all is vanity. Um, but really what Solomon uh, is trying to tell us is that he has pursued everything there is under the sun and found it to be meaningless. Uh, and so we said, yeah, all is vanity, but all is really vanity under the sun, uh, but then ended on the, the high note of Christ, and we'll try to do that every week uh, to show how Christ is the answer or the response to all this meaningless, uh, and said that in Christ we're not limited to under the sun, that God is uh, above the sun. Um, and so when we say meaningless, fruit, um, fruitlessness, futile, um, it's that everything the world has to offer apart from God. But because of God, there is meaning in everything, really. Uh, and so hopefully we'll be able to connect those dots in the coming weeks as we move throughout. Um, so last week we laid that, that foundation uh, where Solomon set the tone by saying, everything under the sun is meaningless. Uh, today gives us the first pursuit, specific kind of topic or theme uh, that he explored to find meaning. And what better place to start than with wisdom? It's a really noble and insightful starting place, right? Uh, I mentioned last week, uh, one of the examples I gave was this survey of American adults. It was specific about the people they surveyed, uh, where they find meaning in life. And the top three, if you remember, were family, career, and finances. Wisdom wasn't really on the table. It wasn't part of the discussion, right? It was family, career, and finances. That's where uh, American adults are finding meaning in life or searching for meaning in life. Solomon, in all his wisdom thinks that maybe meaning can be found in having or exercising that very wisdom. Surely this immense wisdom will lead us to meaning. I think based on chapter 1, verse 2, where he says, uh, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, we know what his answer is going to be, uh, but let's read on anyway. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So again, a very cheerful take, right? A very optimistic um, view that Solomon is taking on wisdom. So wisdom under the sun is meaningless too. No surprise here, based on what we already know of the preacher, and also known as Solomon or Koheleth. Remember, there's a few names were given in Ecclesiastes. But in the context of last week's message, 
Let's clarify. Wisdom is meaningless under the sun. Wisdom is meaningless under the sun. Solomon says that he uses wisdom to search out everything under heaven for meaning. And this isn't like sending the C team to do a job that the A team should be doing, right? It's not like we're sending someone with no wisdom to see if wisdom is where the meaning of life is. This is the most wise person to ever live, apart from Jesus, saying, I sought meaning in wisdom. We know that Solomon was the wisest person apart from Jesus because in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon asks God to grant him wisdom. And God grants him wisdom. And God says, uh, there's never been anyone before you, and there won't come anyone after you that will be like you in wisdom. And so that's why we say Solomon is the most wise person. Um, we reserve Jesus because he's the God-man, right? So he's all-knowing. He's not part of that. Uh, he's a different weight class, I guess you would say. So the wisest man who ever, applied, who ever lived applied his heart uh, to wisdom, it says. And in kind of the Hebrew culture, that term heart refers to your mind, will, and emotions, right? So this is Solomon saying, I'm, I'm all in to finding meaning through this great, immense wisdom that God has given me. And what did he conclude? It is an unhappy business, he says, that God has given mankind to be busy with, to pursue these things. I learned this week in a little uh, bit of study for this morning that the term for unhappy here is more of a negative connotation than just unhappiness. It usually refers to something bad or evil. That's a pretty negative, dark take on this pursuit of wisdom to say it's a bad business or evil business that God has given man to, uh, to pursue wisdom and apply wisdom to life. Because wisdom is supposed to be a good thing, right? But Solomon is saying wisdom under the sun is a pretty dark pursuit because as good as it should be, it only leads to emptiness in light of eternity. And we're introduced to a new term here for the meaninglessness that the preacher is finding when he writes that it all amounts to a striving after the wind or a chasing of the wind. Your translation might say chasing the wind or pursuit of the wind. It's a competition with no winner, no real result, right? Another great picture of futility. The finish line keeps moving. If you were to chase the wind, you can't capture it, you can't grab it. It just keeps eluding your grasp. The question is, why? Why does wisdom fall short? Solomon says the crooked can't be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. We don't know what we don't know, and a lot of what we have tried to know is still unknowable. I can text you that later if you needed to write that down. This is why he writes that in much wisdom is much vexation or frustration, that he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more wisdom you have, the more frustrated you get. The more Solomon figured out and learned, the more he realized he didn't and couldn't know. I always say this about seminary, uh, and I don't think I'm alone in this boat, but it often feels like my theological education left me with more questions than provided me with answers. I'm grateful for my education. It taught me a lot. It helped me a ton. It helps me to understand and uh, to make sense of, of God's word and seeking God's word. But it doesn't make you all-knowing, right? It doesn't give you this omniscience in studying as much as you can. It did not unlock all the mysteries of God. And it shouldn't have. There should still be mysteries to God. God should be unfigureoutable, right? If we can figure him out, then I don't, that's not a God I want to worship, if I can figure him out if I can know more or as much as him. 
Wisdom, as Solomon found, can only take you so far, but it cannot produce this all-knowingness. It cannot even usher you into a relationship with God. Jump to Paul in the New Testament. He touches on this in his letter to the believers at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 25. We read, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of, this, of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, the wisdom of man cannot lead us to the most important thing in all of existence. It falls short. The world does not know God through wisdom. No matter how wise or philosophical or whatever you are or consider yourself to be, the gospel is foolishness in light of this wisdom. Earthly wisdom would never reason anyone into the gospel of salvation. It doesn't make sense, so sense wouldn't get you there, right? We mentioned this in our group on Friday night. Our wisdom is enough to condemn us because God has written morality on our hearts. He's written right and wrong into us. Even those who don't believe in God have a sense of right and wrong at some point. This is how we all realize, right, that there is a right, there is a wrong, and we haven't always done right. It's this sense of oughtness that some authors have called it. There is good that we ought to do all the time. And at some point in life, everyone realizes, I have not always done what I ought to do. I have not been perfect in this sense of morality. So we have enough within ourselves to realize we fall short of this moral standard. And Scripture goes further than this and tells us that we have enough within ourselves to realize there's a higher power behind this moral standard. But a lot of people suppress that truth. So there is an existence of, if there's a standard, there's a morality, there's an oughtness to the universe, who, who said it? Who said it? Who said it in place? Who decided what was right and wrong? Right? And so there's something within every human that God has written on our hearts that kind of creates this question, creates this awareness of our need for something. And that there is someone or some higher power out there. That's within ourselves. But what we don't have within ourselves is the ability to figure out salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We cannot reason ourselves to this. God has not written the gospel on our hearts. And so wisdom falls short. And not just in salvation, which is of utmost importance, but there are numerous questions about humanity and the universe and life and tragedy and disease, all these things that are still unanswered and have been deemed unanswerable. Wisdom is just not good enough. It reminded me of this scene, and I probably have used this illustration lots of times because it resonates just with me in life. 
But in Christmas vacation, when Clark is struggling so much to get the lights to be so spectacular and amazing, he goes through all this work, all this trouble, all this troubleshooting. Eventually, what he believes is a miracle, but is really just his wife flipping a switch in the, the basement or something, provides power to this light, right? And they all, they all light up, and it's like, oh, the hallelujah chorus, I think, starts to begin to play, and the whole family is just like, oh, this is amazing. And the neighbors, I just remember, like, are blinded, and they fall down. Um, but the whole family sitting there just enjoying, like, oh, this is so spectacular. All your hard work is paid off. It's so beautiful. But he goes down the line, and he's just like, he's in tears, and he's going down the line talking to his family and just kind of celebrating. And he gets to his father-in-law, and his father-in-law says, the little lights are not twinkling. It just wasn't good enough for his father-in-law. No matter how much work he put in, or how much he did and accomplished and how spectacular he and everyone else thought it was, there's always one person who can say, it's just not, not very impressive. It's not good enough. So that resonates with me because I, I struggle with that perception. I, I worry sometimes that I am that person in a lot of people's lives as well. The little lights aren't twinkling. I'm often that voice, and so I'm working on that. But just like that was not good enough, wisdom is just not good enough. No matter how much you can accomplish through the wisdom of man, it falls short. And in realizing this, wisdom to Solomon comes across as frustrating and fruitless especially when you consider what he writes in chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, he says. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been, been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So Solomon wonders what good his wisdom has done for him if he's still going to end up dead just like the person who's not wise. Wisdom doesn't make you immortal or earn you a better fate than the person who's not as wise as you. But then there's this tiny glimpse of optimism, of hope, a glimmer, a bright spot in chapter 2, an actual upside, something positive that Solomon writes, mentioned about wisdom. Solomon, in all his wisdom, recognized that wisdom is still grace. This is our second point. Wisdom is still grace. He mentioned at the end of chapter 1 in verse 17 that he applied his wisdom and explored madness and folly. What he's saying is that he compared living wisely with indulging in mad folly, which is really immoral living, disobedience to God. As Solomon understood it, wisdom led to obedience to God or doing what is right. And if doing what is right is the wise thing to do, then indulging in disobedience to God would be foolish, crazy foolish even, mad folly. In chapter 2, verse 13, Solomon admits that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. This is one of the first positive things he's ever said, right, in, in the letter so far. There is more gain in wisdom than in folly, just as there is more gain in light than in darkness, he writes. Commentator Philip Ryken used the example of a blind person. A blind person can still experience much of life, but misses out on what only sight can bring. 
While they can smell and touch a flower or feel the warmth of a sunrise, they can't see the beauty in them. Or simply consider a sighted person walking through an unfamiliar room in pitch black. You'll get to the other side, right? But it's a lot easier and less painful if the lights are on. This is like the grace of wise moral living. There are benefits that only morality can bring to life. There is more flourishing tied to moral living than to immoral living. This is what we call common grace. Common grace is something that God has given everyone that blesses everyone despite their salvation status. He has tied blessing into obeying him, even apart from Christ. Relationships function better in honesty and sacrifice. We're healthier physically when we reject gluttony and drunkenness. It's better for everyone when we don't murder or steal or lie or covet. All of these blessings are available to everyone, Christian, atheist, and everybody in between. We call this common grace. And yet moral living does not grant us salvation. Obedience to God's commands, apart from Christ, just makes this life better. It does not earn us eternal life. Solomon, without even explicit knowledge of Christ, understood that while good, clean living was the better alternative to a life of immorality, the wisdom of life still fell short because it still resulted in death, just like the fool. But we have to admit, Wisdom is a grace. And ultimately, wisdom is a grace because in its shortcomings, we find a need for God to do what only he can do. And he has done so by providing the answer to all questions in the person of Jesus. This is our final point. In Christ, we find the wisdom of God. Let's return again to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, picking up where we left off. Now in verse 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We read earlier how Paul mentioned that the gospel seemed foolish to those seeking wisdom. He also wrote that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, meaning the lowest point of God's wisdom, if there is one, is still higher than the highest point of, God, of man's wisdom, what we can know and understand. This highlights the meaningless of wisdom. And it also highlights the grace of wisdom, as we just read in verses 26 through 31. In wisdom's shortcomings, God has created need in us. No matter how foolish or wise we are, in the world's eyes, we fall short of God. Our lack of wisdom, just like our lack of perfect morality that we mentioned earlier, a lack of perfection in any way, points us to a need for help outside of ourselves. Paul writes that Jesus is the wisdom of God and the righteousness, sanctification, and redemption that we need as well. 
so that in Christ we cannot boast about ourselves. No one in Christ can. Just as the foolish and the wise both die physically, they can both be saved by Jesus. They get to heaven, eternal life, eternity with God, the same way, not through their wisdom or foolishness. There is no boasting in themselves in either case. There is only boasting in the Lord. Wisdom in itself may benefit this life, but our real concern should be the next life. And while wisdom can point us to our greatest need in the next life, only Jesus can fulfill the need that he made it possible for us in the foolishness of the cross. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Um, God, I pray that we would, we would trust in your word um, without having to, to go through some of these uh, things, without having to learn the lessons that someone else already learned when they uh, experience these things and then impart the truth to us, God, that, um, that we would trust your word when, when Solomon says that these pursuits, these worldly pursuits are not worth anything. When he says, take it from me, I've, I've had everything there is to have. I've, uh, I've been as knowledgeable as any man can be, and it still falls short of what is above the sun. So God, I pray this morning that whatever our, our pursuits are, and we'll talk about more of them in the coming weeks, that uh, if it's wisdom, if it's knowledge, if it's trying to gain understanding of the things around us or uh, read a bunch of books to become an expert on this or that, whatever it might be, God, that it would be in light of eternity that we can apply that wisdom for blessing in life, but we're not earning salvation. We're not earning eternity. We still fall painfully, woefully short of the wisdom of God. God, may our only boast be in Jesus and the foolishness of the cross that doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. That eternal life is granted to us, that forgiveness, redemption, sanctification is, is granted to us through the sacrifice, the laying down of Jesus' life, his death, his burial, that humility. And then in the power of your spirit, he raised to life again, that we might have new life in him. May we boast in that. God, I pray that you would show us, every person in here who is pursuing different things, God, that you would show us whatever our pursuit is, if it is vanity, if it is meaningless, if it is chasing the wind, show us that. Remind us of our need for your grace. Remind us that the only way to experience eternity with you is through faith in Jesus. Not through wisdom, not through wealth, not through accomplishments, not through moral living even. That that would be the hope we carry, the hope we walk in, and the hope we share with others who are still far from you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.